It's time for overtime. Now that's a tourist attraction. In the world of sports, it's all about the playmakers in today's headlines, from locals to the pros. Toughest son of a gun you ever met, man. That Texas gunslinger ain't gonna let nothing get in the way. With interviews from local standouts and sports all-stars across the country that will have you talking. Hear from coaches to players, sports analysts, and broadcasters who are a part of the action every day. Overtime, now with Burt Ramin on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO, Sioux Falls Sports leader. Welcome into the Tuesday edition of Overtime. It is Tuesday, February the 27th. It is not the second to last day of the month, but we're pretty darn close. It is a leap year after all. Two days after today, remain in the month of February. We're tuned up for the NFL Combine. We got all sorts of audio trickling out from the NFL Combine as we're hearing general managers speak, we're hearing coaches speak, and everything in between. We've got a lot of interesting quarterback situations to wax poetic on today. Welcome in to this chilly Tuesday edition of Overtime. And I was talking to a co-worker about greatest temperature differentials in recent memory in South Dakota because I'm new to the area still. And he said this is one of the worst that he can remember from a suddenly summer Day yesterday, we got up to 70, 70 plus in some areas. We're down and should be in the teens later on today. Back to winter we go. After all, we're still in February. We'll wait and see what happens in the next couple of weeks, but definitely a chilly start to your Tuesday, February 27th edition of Overtime. Still to come on the show today, the latest from the National Football League. We've got several intriguing new free agents out and about, including guys that have been cut as of this morning from their longtime franchises, including one name that should and could intrigue both the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers on defense. We'll talk about that, get you the latest NFL Combine schedule and some sound from the Combine before too long. We'll get you your rankings roundup as always during hoop season here on a Tuesday. Men's basketball, women's basketball, AP Top 25s, newly out and minted, and the final SD Preps poll of the season for the SD Media. We'll talk about that ahead of everything getting tuned up for the State Basketball High School Tournament. Rounding out hour number one, we'll deliver the good, the bad, and the ugly, and also dive into yesterday's segment that we didn't have time for, the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs current free agents, and what are the priorities for both of those teams that made jumps and leaps and bounds into the postseason, and for the Kansas City Chiefs. Back-to-back Super Bowl champions. That's hour number one. Hour number two, highlights and headlines. We'll be talking combine. We'll be talking NFL priorities, Kirk Cousins, and everything in between with Arif Hassan of WideLeft.Football. He'll join us around 1220. We'll give you the latest from the NBA around 1230-ish and chat with NSIC Commissioner Aaron Lind, ahead of the Northern Sun Conference Basketball Tournament that begin officially tomorrow and head to the Pentagon over the weekend. Still an opportunity for you also to head out to the tournaments. I've got several tickets still remaining. If you'd like to go, we'll uh, do a giveaway at the end of today's show. Once again, overtime on a Tuesday. I'm your host, Bert Ramin. Let's dive into your scorecard. NHL Finals. There were just four games yesterday. First things first, Capitals beat up on the Senators at home in D.C. 
It's Lunau moving to the right circle, teeing up and fanning on it was Hamannick, and the Capitals on the break, a two-on-one maybe, LaPierre coming, he's got help with him, across to Sandine, back to LaPierre, and he scores! His second goal of the game! Capitals double up the Senators, 6-3 the final score, audio there courtesy of WJFK, new record for the Caps, 27-21-9, and elsewhere Islanders and Stars from Big D, back and forth they'd go, to overtime they'd go, and the Islanders. Islanders steal one on the road. 2.20 remaining in sudden death. Barzell, right wing over the red, over the Dallas blue. He's alone right now. Takes it to the slot, curls. Tries to find some help, none there. But he holds on to it. Barzell, left dot. Opens up for him a little bit. Goes back to a home and shoots. He scores! Energetic audio there. WRHU, Islanders 3, the Stars 2. 24, 20, and 14, the new record for the Islanders. And the Stars fall in upset fashion to 35-16-9 and on the season. Other games going on yesterday. Edmonton takes care of the visiting Kings 4-2. Oilers are 34-20-2. and And Boston and Seattle, look out for this Kraken team. They keep on winning. A 29-save performance here tonight. He needs another one in the shootout. Pasternak for the Bruins. Two goals in this one. Pasternak, right-handed shot over the line. Right circle, walks in, shoots. Big save by Philip Grubauer. And the Kraken win in a shootout. That's a game-winning save there for the Kraken. They're 25-22-11. And like the Minnesota Wild, they're playing their best hockey at the right time. Kind of a sluggish start to the season for the Kraken, but they're starting to get back into contention. We'll deliver the latest standings here in a moment, but for the Seattle Kraken uh, right now, as we take a look at those latest standings, their record is 25-22-11. and Tonight in the NHL, some of the highlights on the schedule. Capitals at Red Wings, 6 o'clock. Hurricanes at Wild, 7 o'clock. Blues at Jets, 7 o'clock as well. Avalanche home to the Stars at 8.30. Penguins at Canucks at 9 o'clock. All five of those games you can stream on ESPN+. Plus. Let's take a look at your Western Conference standings in the NHL. Dallas is the top team in the Central Division with 79 points, and they're 35-16-9 overall. They're followed on that side of the conference by Winnipeg and Colorado, and then Nashville. St. Louis Blues are fifth with 62 points, and they're tied currently with the Minnesota Wild. Same number of points there at 62. Over to the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, Vancouver is the best team in the entirety of the conference with 82 points, edging out Dallas's 79. They're atop the Pacific. Vegas is second with 71, followed by Edmonton, the Kings, and the Calgary Flames, currently tied with the Seattle Kraken with 61 total points. College hockey coming up this weekend, Friday at 7, Saturday at 6. Augustana plays host to Alaska Fairbanks, rolling into town. More information, ticketing information, goaugie.com slash Hockey tickets. Entertaining night in the NBA despite four games going on last night. Toronto upsets Indiana on the road in Indianapolis by the final of 130 to 122. Pacers with the loss 33 and 26, their new record. And last night came down to the wire and a ugly officiating end to the contest between Detroit and the Knicks. New York comes out on top with the home win. Shot clock turned off. Divincenzo, 10 seconds, throws it away, and he'll commit the foul. Referees don't call it. Brunson picks up the loose ball. Shovel pass. Hart lays it. Good. Hart lays it in with 2.8. 113-111 the final score. Here's Pistons head coach Monty Williams. You cannot dive into a guy's legs in a big-time game like that and there be a no-call. It's ridiculous, and we're tired of it. We just want a fair game called.
We've seen several instances this year of coaches being very upset at the end of ball games. Last night may have been one of the worst missed calls that we've seen. Get you more on that later in the show, but definitely a missed call. And even the crew chief admitted to the missed call last night, and it ends up costing the Pistons at least an opportunity to win the game, 113-111, to the final score. Knicks over Detroit, new record for New York, 35-23. and Other finals, Brooklyn over Memphis, 111-86, to and the Miami Heat win their 32nd game of the season. They're 32-25. and Bam Adebayo, a double-double, 28 points, 10 boards, and 7 assists in a 121-110 win over Sacramento on the road. Tonight in the NBA, we got a slew of good games going on. It begins at 6.30 out in Boston, where the Celtics play host to the Sixers. You can watch that on TNT. Other games going on. Spurs at T-Wolves, 7 o'clock. Pistons at Bulls, same time. 7 o'clock start for the Milwaukee Bucks, home to Charlotte. And a 9 o'clock start on TNT for the Rockets visiting the Oklahoma City Thunder. Men's basketball last night, two ranked teams in action, and both ranked teams prevailed. Baylor wins on the road over rival TCU, 62 54, the final in that contest. And elsewhere, North Carolina hangs on to a 75-71 to victory last night. Here's Jones Angel from Learfield on the call. George still trying to inbound. Gets it to Watson. Carolina going to let Watson heave it up. It is no good. And the Tar Heels survive in the Smith Center tonight. A career night for R.J. Davis. 42 points. And a couple of big free throws for Jalen Withers in the final seconds. Allows Carolina to get out of here with a win. And again, moving forward into college basketball, that final score 75 to 71. North Carolina 22 and 6, 14 and 3 within the ACC. Speaking of the ACC, very ugly situation. The topic du jour yesterday, court storming. We heard from both sides. We've heard from the coaches. Here is head coach John Shire of Duke saying there's been enough incidents with court storming. It's time for a change. There's enough things that have happened with Flip. I mentioned Caitlin Clark. I know something happened, I think, with a Memphis player can go down the line. Like, there, there's enough proof here where security has to be there. This has to be prevented in the future. Shire would go on to call on the conference, the Atlantic Coast Conference, to make some sort of change with court storming. I think it should come from the NCAA level. We'll wait and see. As the SEC has a financial punishment to deter teams from rushing the court, and that is not really prevented. And we've seen at least three instances in which SEC teams have run the floor following an upset victory, and the fines have come, and the school has said, okay, we'll fork over the dollars so our kids can have some fun storming the court. I called for it yesterday. Makes way too much sense for me just to go ahead and say congratulations on the upset. We're setting the timer to let everybody leave the court that wants to get off, which of course includes officials. It includes the team that just got upset and they're ticked and they don't want people shouting in their faces and running them over. Get them off the floor and then have your party. It's as simple as that. It makes too much sense to me. That is my solution patented here on ESPN Sioux Falls. Tonight in men's basketball, Cincinnati's in action at top-rated Houston, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Wisconsin visits Indiana, 6 o'clock on Peacock. And the Iowa Hawkeyes are in action, 8 o'clock start at home in Iowa City on Big Ten Network as they welcome in the Penn State Nittany Lions. Women's basketball finals, 13th-rated Colorado lost at UCLA. 
UCLA last night, 53-45. The Bruins are 22-5 and 11-5 in conference play. And tonight in women's basketball, Xavier visits 23rd-ranked Creighton at 6 o'clock and 14th-ranked Indiana on the road in Evanston to battle Northwestern. Also a 6 o'clock jump time. You can watch that one on the Big Ten Network. A lot to get to today from the National Football League as far as sights and sounds go. The Combine not officially underway, but we're starting to see the media portion trickle out. Seeing a lot of general managers talking, including the Packers' Brian Gutekunst, Chicago Bears' GM Ryan Poles. We'll have some more audio from him later in the show today. But here's the New York Giants' general manager on the status of the quarterbacks in the draft. Interesting comments here. Yeah, it's a good quarterback draft. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not just at the top. There's some guys that are mid-levels that I think will be good number twos. There's some guys that, you know, can be number threes in the draft. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's a solid draft all over. Definitely feel like the Giants are at an inflection point with their quarterback situation, as are the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals on Twitter, by the way, went ahead and reposted and put a post out there that said, Quarterback one or something of that with Kyler Murray's picture there. We've seen this famously done before with Josh Rosen. Cliff Kingsbury's quote, Josh is our guy. A couple weeks later, they draft Kyler Murray, number one overall in that year's draft. Are the Cardinals seriously backing Kyler Murray as their quarterback of the future? Evan Cohen on Unsportsmanlike isn't so sure. I just don't buy it with Kyler Murray. I don't buy he's a franchise quarterback. He is not somebody that I would want personally as my franchise quarterback. I'm sorry. The whole study hall clause thing is hard to get out of my mind. It's not like an off-the-field issue like Watson had, obviously, which is way more important. But from an on-field issue perspective, if you're telling me, you're publicly saying we have to require our quarterback to study the plays in the playbook, that is scary and that's tough to get out of my mind. And they did that to him and he did that to him. Very interesting stuff there, and I co-signed that. I think Kyler Murray had a very good start to his career. Not great, but very good. And since that time, it's been up in the air with all the drama and the injuries and everything around Cliff Kingsbury, the yelling on the sideline between him and DeAndre Hopkins and the quarterback. It's been very strange out in Arizona. Kyler Murray, I, without a doubt, has talent. If he does not end up being the guy in Arizona, I think he'll earn a second chance to be a starter somewhere else. I think the Cardinals will roll with him this year and probably draft a top-tier player at a different position in the first round or trade down. They've got some options, but Kyler Murray, definitely not on stable ground as the starter of the Cardinals, but I think he's earned at least next year to be the guy once again. Another quarterback on shaky ground, Kirk Cousins. He tweeted out a video of him dropping back, throwing some passes yesterday, showing off the rehab in his injury, a rehabilitation from that Achilles injury. Adam Schefter says, why did he tweet out the video though? Well, first of all, Kirk Cousins is one of the savviest smartest guys out there so you know february 26th a couple of weeks out of free agency puts out a video of him moving around looking great and he should i mean that's what he should be doing he's doing the right thing he's advertising to teams here's a quarterback who's ready so i don't know whether he's trying to send a message to every other team across the market i think the one thing that i just would wonder about uh if he felt so good about the state of talks with the vikings would he be doing that? Because I think in a perfect world, I think he'd like to stay in Minnesota. I think that would be something that would appeal to him greatly. He's enjoyed his time there. Um, but if, if you know you're talking to your team, you're either advertising to another team or trying to prod your current team because it's not where it's at, right? Like if everything was moving along, do you think he's putting that video out there the way he did yesterday? If, if everything was right where he wanted it to be with Minnesota? Adam Schefter, ESPN NFL analyst, certainly not wrong there when it comes to posturing for other teams and showing what he can do at this stage 
of his recovery, and I agree with that. Minnesota Vikings talks have stalled quite a bit. The rumor is it's over the guaranteed money in the contract. And I got a question out there for Minnesota Vikings fans. A week ago, we didn't know the current state of the NFL salary cap. It jumped up a little bit more than expected, which frees up a little bit more room for each and every team to make a move. Did that salary cap jump? And the additional flexibility, you got a Justin Jefferson deal coming, maybe got priorities like bringing Daniil Hunter back. Did that additional 10 plus million dollars of wiggle room change your mind on the feasibility and your wish list as far as bringing Cousins back? Or are you done? Do you want him back regardless? Let me know. You can always weigh in on the show. 605-362-3776. Kirk Cousins set to be a free agent in due time, but the Minnesota Vikings reportedly engaging in talks, but talks stalled, centered over guaranteed money as of right now. We'll wait and see how this all shakes out, but if he does hit the open market, Kirk Cousins is without a doubt your top free agent across the National Football League. Now moving forward through finishing up your scorecard, NASCAR races at Vegas coming up on Sunday, 2.30 on Fox, and PGA Tour action continues with the Cognizant Classic from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. That's Thursday through Sunday. Last year's winner of that tournament was Chris Kirk. Couple uh, good recognition coming in for South Dakota State as we kick off your Alia Bank headlines of the day. South Dakota State senior Tori Kanishi was recognized yesterday as the Ticket Smarter Summit League Softball Peak Pitcher of the Week. Kanishi earned two victories in the circle to help lead SDSU at the Michelle Short Memorial Classic in Conway, Arkansas. Kanishi began the uh, tournament that Arkansas Central Arkansas hosted with a stellar effort versus Purdue on Friday. Pitched a complete game, allowing just one run on three hits and a walk and struck out 13 hitters. She then faced the host Central Arkansas Bears on Saturday through another complete game, allowed just one run on five hits and struck out nine. Tori Kanishi is your softball peak pitcher of the week for the Summit League Conference. Elsewhere, South Dakota State's Paige Meyer collected her third Ticket Smarter Summit League Peak Performer of the Week honor of the season. Meyer, a junior, averaged 20 points, five and a half assists and five rebounds to lead the Jackrabbits to a pair of wins over the last week. SDSU clinched at least a share of the Summit League regular season crown following Saturday's win at St. Thomas. And at Denver on Thursday, Meyer went 7 for 13 from the floor, led the team with 17 points and 8 rebounds while dishing out a pair of assists. Paige Meyer joins teammate Brooklyn Meyer as the only players to earn the Summit League weekly award three times this season. South Dakota State has garnered each of the last three honors and four of the last five as they remain undefeated within Summit League play. Those aren't the only honors for our local collegiate athletes as Augustana's Isaac Fink has been named the Northern Sun Conference Player of the Week for the second time this season. The graduate student went off for a pair of 30-point games as the Vikings went 2-0 and over last weekend, averaged 36 points per game over two Augie victories, hauled in an average of 10 rebounds per game as well, and shot 54% from the floor and 55% from downtown. Congratulations to Springfield, Minnesota. Minnesota native Isaac Fink of Augustana, your NSIC player of the week. Up next for Augie Hoops, they play host to Wayne State tomorrow night in the first round of the NSIC tournament. Tip-off from the Yelman Center is at 6 p.m. and tickets can be purchased at goaugie.com slash tickets.
Speaking of those Vikings, the Augustana baseball team continues their season with a Tuesday game in St. Joseph, Missouri against Missouri Western. First pitch is slated for 3 o'clock this afternoon. Complete action can be followed at goaugie.com slash live. And this will be the first matchup between the two teams since 2008 and the 23rd all-time meeting. The team split a pair of games in the 2008 doubleheader with the last game ending in a 10-2 victory for the Vikings. Missouri Western comes in at 9-4 overall. And for the Vikings, they're 2-2. Two and two. They had a little bit of a delayed start to the season this year. 2-2 two and two thus far after splitting at Regis last weekend. Vikings scored 36 runs on the weekend, including 26 combined over their two wins. And again, Augustana baseball in action this afternoon, 3 o'clock, for a game down in St. Joseph, Missouri against Missouri Western. Iowa State is set to promote Taylor Mauser to offensive coordinator, part of several staff moves for the offense after Nate Shiohas left for the National Football League. Mauser had served as Iowa State's tight ends coach since 2021 and added an assistant head coach title in 2023. Been part of Coach Matt Campbell's staff in various roles on and off the field. Throughout Campbell's tenure with the Cyclones, Mauser will replace Shiohas, ISU's offensive coordinator in 2023, who recently left to become the passing game specialist for the L.A. Rams on Sean McVay's staff. Iowa State is also set to hire Tyler Roll as running backs coach and assistant head coach. Roll spent the past five seasons at North Dakota State as the offensive coordinator and was the top internal candidate for NDSU's head coaching role. Recently left to become the offensive coordinator at Tennessee State. That job did not last long as Roll takes over as running backs coach and assistant head coach out in Ames. That's the latest on your Reliabank headlines of the day. But before we go to break, Minnesota Twins have made another move. As of yesterday afternoon, the L.A. Dodgers traded outfielder Manuel Margot to the Minnesota Twins and agreed to terms with super utility man Kiki Hernandez on a one-year, $4 million contract. After shopping the player, 29 years old in recent days, the Dodgers struck a deal to send the Twins the outfielder and shortstop prospect Rain Doncon for shortstop prospect Noah Miller. The Dodgers also will send cash considerations to help cover the $12 million that are owed Margot, $10 million this year, and a $2 million buyout on a $12 million club option according to ESPN. Minnesota Twins make another move. They're underway with spring training as are the majority of Major League Baseball teams. Those are your Reliabank headlines of the day here for hour number one. When we come back, the latest from the National Football League including one marquee linebacker of the past that is now a free agent. Been cut by his team as of this morning. We'll tell you who that is and why the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers should hit his cell immediately. We'll talk that and much, much more coming up next on the Tuesday edition of Overtime. and NBA basketball, the NFL and Major League Baseball. It's all here on ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO, Sioux Falls Sports Leader. Right back with you on this Tuesday edition of Overtime. Appreciate you tuning us in as always. ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO. A lot of movers and shakers in the National Football League as the NFL Combine is providing a boost to the offseason coverage. We're seeing a lot of general managers talking up their current offseason situations, current offseason priorities, and, of course, 
players that could be on their way out, players that could be on their way in to the respective franchises. One of the general managers that a lot of people is waiting to hear from is the Chicago Bears GM Ryan Poles. Not only does the team have two picks in the top ten, they've got a big-time decision to make at quarterback, whether to keep or trade Justin Fields. Here's what Poles had to say about Justin Fields and as if uh, what the options are if they do decide to take a quarterback at number one overall. To draft a quarterback. What is your motivation to trade Justin before free agency starts, knowing that there might be a premium on that? Yeah, again, it just depends on what opportunities pop up. Um, I will say this. Um, I think you guys know me uh, well enough now. I do, if we go down that road, um, I want to do right by Justin as well. Uh, no one wants to live in gray. Um, I know that's uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to be in that situation either. So uh, we'll gather the information. We'll move um, as quickly as possible. We're not going to be in a rush um, and see what presents itself and what's best for the organization. Interesting answer there, and frankly, if Ryan Poles, as true to his word, he wants to do right by Justin Fields, and I think they will end up doing right by Justin Fields. I think that my opinion has changed quite a bit on the situation. I thought that Justin Fields did enough down the stretch of the season to warrant an opportunity to be the guy. That doesn't mean they wouldn't draft a quarterback in the mid-rounds, but if you draft a quarterback in the first round, the plan is for that guy to be your starter moving forward. And Justin Fields probably needs to get out of town. I think that is an eventuality at this point. We'll wait and see. But Ryan Poles, interesting comments there in regards to nobody wants to live in the gray. We want to do right by Justin if that is what we decide to do. And I feel like it's a foregone conclusion at this point. The Chicago Bears will be taking a quarterback at number one overall. And it, I'm not 100% sure it's Caleb Williams, but I am 100% sure right now that it will be a quarterback at least at number one overall for the Chicago Bears. Maybe at number nine. We'll wait and see. But the Chicago Bears definitely have an opportunity to control the first round, trade down from either pick. But it looks like they're going to roll with a quarterback early on and a decision to be made as to where to trade, when to trade, and who to trade Justin Fields to coming up here in the next few weeks. The NFL Scouting Combine is underway, and according to NFL.com, a unique and pivotal step in the prospect journey from amateur athlete to NFL pro at the Combine 300 or more of the best college football players are given the stage to showcase their skills in front of coaches, general managers, and scouts. The key stop before the NFL draft, a chance for players to elevate their football profiles and showcase their talents to clubs and fans across the country before finding their new teams. Here's the general schedule today and tomorrow. We'll have a lot of media coverage, uh, sights and sounds from coaches, GMs, maybe some of the players as well. Thursday is the first on-field session. Gets going at 2 o'clock Central. Thursday, you can follow the D-linemen and linebackers. Friday's uh, a big day for you USD Coyote fans out there. Miles Harden, one of many defensive backs out there that will showcase on Friday. And the tight ends will also be out there uh, Friday afternoon, 2 o'clock start time. Saturday at noon, quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs. And everything concludes on Sunday at noon. It's the offensive linemen. Showing their stuff, and that, of course, going to be a big day for SDSU Jackrabbit fans. Garrett Greenfield, Mason McCormick, among many offensive linemen in attendance. But that is a noon start on Sunday. NFL Network always has the top-tier coverage of the NFL Combine if you're wanting to watch. But if you're wanting just a recap of how things went, some players that elevated their draft status, we'll have you covered later on in the week. Joe DeLeon will join us on Friday and next week. Looking already to chat with a few NFL heads in regards 
to the outcome of the NFL Combine. The Detroit Lions are not letting go of a veteran as of today. They've actually re-upped and agreed to terms on a two-year contract extension for special teams ace Jalen Reeves Maven. His agent Brian McLaughlin of Vayner Sports told NFL Network the news. Reeves Maven's deal is worth up to $8 million. According to a source, he was voted team captain and named to his first Pro Bowl this past season and was set to become an unrestricted free agent. Last year, he tied for the league high with 14 special teams tackles while successfully competing, completing two fake punt plays. Additionally, he was named to the NFLPA's All-Pro team as one of the core teamers. Reeves Maven was a fourth-round pick back in 2017 and has spent six of his seven years with the Detroit Lions. The New York Jets are parting ways with veteran offensive lineman left guard Lakin Tomlinson, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. The move comes as no surprise as the 32-year-old was due to count nearly $19 million on the salary cap this year. His release will save the Jets roughly $8 million, meaning that they get stuck with a $10.7 million dead money cap hit for this year. The Jets are planning to overhaul at, uh, their offensive line as they should, as it ranked among the league's worst as they look to protect veteran quarterback Aaron Rodgers following a season-ending Achilles injury in Week 1. With Tomlinson gone, tackles Mekhi Becton and Dwayne Brown and center Connor McGovern all heading to free agency. The Jets have only two players under contract with at least 20 starts. That is guard and tackle Elijah Vera Tucker and backup center and guard Wes Schweitzer. And that's the situation right now for the New York Jets. General Jets General Manager Joe Douglas signed Tomlinson to a three-year $40 million contract back in 2022. But the former Lions first-round pick struggled with consistency and failed to live up to expectations. Allowed nine and a half sacks last year the second most among all guards across the NFL. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have let somebody hit the market that the Packers and the Vikings should at least give a call to. The Bucs have released outside linebacker Shaq Barrett. According to sources in ESPN's Adam Schefter, Barrett had a $15 million bonus due next month and will be a salary cap charge of just under $14 million for 2024. The 31-year-old was a two-time Pro Bowler during his five seasons with the Buccaneers and a key contributor on Tampa Bay's championship-winning defense in 2020, recording three sacks against the Packers in the NFC Championship game that year and another sack against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Undrafted free agent out of Colorado State back in 2015, Barrett has 59 career sacks in nine seasons with the Buccaneers and the Broncos. And if you look at the Green Bay Packers defense, you look at the Minnesota Vikings defense. They need a savvy veteran on the interior. Green Bay's got Quay Walker on that middle linebacker spot. That is an unquestioned spot for him. But a shuffling of the guard, changing of the guard, and if they do end up parting ways with Devondre Campbell, a guy who is very heavy on the salary cap this year, Green Bay should absolutely at least call Shaq Barrett, get him in for an interview, get him in and have a little bit of a talk there in regards to what fit he could provide the defense. He is long in the tooth at 31, but certainly some big years left for Shaq Barrett. And for the Minnesota Vikings, they got Jordan Hicks out there as a free agent. A lot of uncertainty in the heart of the Vikings defense if he is a fit. With Brian Flores' defense, definitely a guy that could come relatively cheap based on production and the potential 
of joining Minnesota or Green Bay, Shaq Barrett should be a free agent target for either of those teams. Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, and Tony Pollard are all expected to become free agents in what promises to be a star-studded running back market, according to ESPN yesterday. The Las Vegas Raiders will attempt to re-sign Jacobs, but they're not expected to tag the player, league sources told ESPN, especially because the franchise tag for running backs cost north of $14.1 million for a one-year deal. The New York Giants will speak with Barkley and explore a deal with them, but they're also unlikely to tag him at the value of $12.1 million. The reason that Josh Jacobs' tag is more is because it would be the second year consecutively that he would play under the tag. The Cowboys are not expected to use that same $12.1 million tag for Pollard, and the Tennessee Titans won't tag standout veteran Derrick Henry, and the Chargers also are expected to let Austin Eckler explore free agency. Other running backs scheduled to hit free agency next month include DeAndre Swift, A.J. Dillon, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Ezekiel Elliott, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. There's a rich veteran market right now. I think a lot of these guys will get deals, albeit a lot cheaper than they would like this offseason. We're going to see a few of these older guys like we saw with Ezekiel Elliott last year and others, including Dalvin Cook. I think a lot of these contract negotiations and contract signings for these veterans will take a lot of time and perhaps go all the way into training camp, maybe the preseason as well. As that market was dry last year, it appears to be drying further this offseason. As for the Green Bay Packers, rounding out the segment with your NFL news, the Packers created some cap space yesterday by restructuring the contract of veteran edge rusher Rashawn Gary, and they could create more of it by parting ways soon with veteran left tackle David Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari is set to have a cap number of more than $40 million this year, which would be a lot even if he had not missed 38 of the team's last 51 games because of issues with his knee. Cutting him would open up more than $20 million in cap space, but general manager Brian Gutekunst told reporters on Tuesday that the team has not made a decision about Bakhtiari yet. According to Pro Football Talk at NBCSports.com, Gutekunst did suggest the team wouldn't keep Bakhtiari on the roster into the new league year at his current cap number. So there's your writing on the wall, if you will. It's either restructure or see you later for David Bakhtiari. I'd like to have a decision before that, Gutekunst said via Rob Domofsky of ESPN.com. It doesn't feel like there's much for the Packers to mull when it comes to his future, but it'll at least be a little while longer before anything is official in Green Bay. Again, pro football talk with that latest news from Green Bay. I personally hope Bakhtiari comes back and they extend him and spread that money out over a couple years. He's missed 48 or 38 of the last 51 games for Green Bay had issues playing on artificial turf two years ago and last year played in just one game looked really darn good against the Chicago Bears in the opener but had further lingering issues with that knee injury that dates back all the way to the playoffs of 2021 just the week before the Packers lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that year's NFC title game. When we come back, rankings roundup, men's basketball, women's basketball, the AP top 25s are here. Also, the final SD Media preps poll of the season has arrived. We'll break it all down next for you on this Tuesday edition of Overtime. The best sporting matchups and coverage. We are ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO, Sioux Falls Sports Leader.
moving right along on this Tuesday edition of Overtime. If you ever miss any of the show or want to give it a listen back, podcast links always available at ESPNSuFalls.com or on the free ESPN Sioux Falls app. It's an easy download. All sorts of great features on there. Latest sports stories from our area, which always include the weekly South Dakota Media High School prep polls, whether it be volleyball, football, or this season right now, basketball. I've got the final set of rankings right in front of me here, and that's where we'll start off this segment on this Tuesday, February 27th edition of Overtime. We're just inching towards state tournament time for girls and boys basketball, and here's your final set of rankings. Boys class AA, Mitchell's been the top team for quite some time, and they retain that top spot in the final rankings of the season. Mitchell 19 and 1 overall, retaining that top spot with all 16 first place votes. Followed in the poll this week by Harrisburg, Brandon Valley, Washington, and Roosevelt in that order. Only other team in the receiving votes category was, was with Watertown receiving four votes. Class single A at Sioux Falls Christian, 20 and 0, undefeated, 16 first place votes, followed by Hamlin, Pine Ridge, Sioux Valley, and Dakota Valley. Receiving votes category, Hot Springs and Groton area with one vote. Class B, Castlewood, 12 of the possible 16 first place votes, 17 and 3 record there. They retain the top spot. They're followed in the ranks by White River and DeSmith. Wessington Springs is fourth. Howard is fifth. Leola Frederick area, Viberg Hurley, Del Rapid, St. Mary, all in that receiving votes category for the boys' Bs. And the girls, we just got the double A rankings at O'Gorman. Undefeated retains the top spot. 16 first place votes, 20 and 0 are the O'Gorman Knight girls. They're followed in the rankings by Mitchell at 18 and 2, 16 and 4 Brandon Valley, 14 and 6 Pier and Jefferson. The final team in the poll receiving votes was Spearfish with a total of 2 votes received. Other rankings to round up here with you as we move our way through hour number one here on Overtime. Now it's Houston's turn at the top of the AP Top 25 Men's College Basketball Poll. The Cougars moved to number one for the first time this season in yesterday's release, climbing one spot to end a six-week stay of reigning national champion UConn. Houston at 24 and 3 became the fifth team to hold the spot this season. Purdue rose one spot to number two, while the Huskies, following the loss to Creighton, dropped from number one to number three in a poll that included South Florida cracking the rankings for the first time in program history. The Bulls are number 25 in the latest rankings. Here's your top 10. Houston. Purdue, UConn, Tennessee, and Marquette in the top five, followed by Arizona, Kansas, Iowa State, North Carolina, and Duke in the top ten. Other teams in the rankings, Creighton at number 12, they're 20 and 8, and Illinois at number 13 in the latest men's ranking at number 13, their record 20 and 7. No other local or regional teams in the rankings, but again, South Florida is the new team to make some history. First time they're in the AP Top 25 in school history. They after this week at number 25. Over to the women's side now, does South Carolina remains the top team? 27-0 Gamecocks receive all 35 first place votes. Ohio State hanging tough at number two. They're followed in the rankings by Texas, Stanford, and Virginia Tech. The Iowa Hawkeyes are outside of the top five for the first time in quite some time following an upset loss. Iowa is number six at 24-4. and four. Seventh is USC. UCLA is eighth. LSU ninth. And Paige Beckers and the UConn Huskies are tenth in the 
latest rankings. Other area teams or programs of note in the latest rankings for women's basketball. Colorado number 13, Indiana 14th, Kansas State 15th in the latest rankings, Notre Dame number 17, and the Creighton Blue Jays hanging around. Record for them 22-4 and four on the season. They come in this rank this week's rankings at number 23 overall. We'll take the break. When we come back, it's time to talk some free agency news and nuggets and free agency priorities for the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, we'll also round out our number one with today's edition of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Usually reserve that for our number two, but we got a very important interview coming up at the end of the show today. Right around 1240, we'll be talking NSIC tournament with Commissioner of the Northern Sun Intercollegiate Conference, Aaron Lind. will join us around 1240 on the show that and much much more still to come on this tuesday edition of overtime Streaming live online and with the app, this is Overtime with Bert Ramin on ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO, Sioux Falls Sports Leader. back with you. It is the Tuesday edition of Overtime. Yesterday we wanted to talk Packers and Chiefs free agency with you. We ran out of time so we'll do that now and then get you the hour number one concluding look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl champions They've got quite a lot of vultures circling their team this offseason. They've got a lot of free agent names out there and a couple huge ones, including the likes of Chris Jones, Legereus Sneed, Drew Tranquil, Mike Edwards, and of course the Super Bowl hero, Nicole Hardman at wide receiver shouldn't be expensive, but I don't know if he'll be back with the Chiefs moving forward. Here's a list of some of the big names as far as offense, defense, and special teams for the Chiefs first. Get to the Packers here in a minute. On offense, backup quarterback Blaine Gabbert's a free agent as are running backs Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarek McKinnon, former Minnesota Viking, wide receiver Nicole Hardman, wide receiver Richie James, and tackle Donovan Smith. That's a big name and a name to remember in this free agency period for the Kansas City Chiefs. On the defensive side, defensive tackle Chris Jones is the priority. For the Kansas City Chiefs, offense, defense, special teams, or otherwise, Chris Jones said the day of the parade he would like to be back, and I think you bring him back once again because they faced this ultimatum last year. Bring him back. Will they? Won't they? They do. They win the Super Bowl. He is the heart and soul of that defense, the best player on the defense, and if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes, he'd be the best player on the entire roster. For the Kansas City Chiefs, other defensive priorities, defensive end Mike Dana, linebackers Drew Tranquil, Willie Gay Jr., and South Dakota alum Jack Cochran is a free agent, cornerback Legereus Sneed, and safety Mike Edwards. As far as specialists goes, we talked with Adam Teicher last week on the show about Tommy Townsend. He's as good as gone because they made the signing of Matt Ariza as the starting punter moving forward. And uh, Teicher said, paraphrasing here, of course, yesterday, last week, that uh, that Townsend, or that Ariza, rather, would not have agreed to the deal if he had known he would have had competition the likes of Tommy Townsend. Pretty darn good punter, but Ariza coming much cheaper, much younger, and the Kansas City Chiefs are going that way 
at that position. So priorities here, pretty darn easy to snuff it out for Kansas City. It's Chris Jones, number one, Legereus Sneed, second, and linebacker Drew Tranquil, third. The former Charger had a really nice season in Kansas City. One of the leaders on the defense, one of the signal callers, Drew Tranquil, I think is a priority for the Kansas City Chiefs in free agency. For the Green Bay Packers, I'm not whole, wholeheartedly certain that any of these guys are coming back to this team this year. I'm sure some of the role players might, but here's a synopsis of the Green Bay Packers. They've got a grand total of 17, check that, 18 free agents coming up this offseason. Offensively, running back A.J. Dillon, wide receiver Bo Melton, and guard, starting guard John Runyon Jr., Michigan alum, is a free agent on the defensive side. couple other big names, Keyshawn Nixon, and they have a total of six, that's right, six safeties on the roster that are projected to be free agents this offseason. And then you got punter Daniel Whelan out there as well. So the Green Bay Packers and their priorities here. The number one priority among the guys, not necessarily, I think, the best player that they could bring back, but based on the position that he plays and the amount of value he brings and how lean the Green Bay Packers are at safety, I think Darnell Savage probably is their priority right now in the defensive backfield and on the roster as far as impending free agents go for Green Bay. It's Savage 1, Keyshawn Nixon, who is a favorite of mine and a fan favorite, nickel corner as well as a punt returner, kick returner. He is fantastic, brings the attitude, lays the wood. I love Keyshawn Nixon. I'll be very upset if he's not back I don't expect him to be back though he is the second biggest priority and then third love AJ Dillon has his career been everything the Packers hoped it would be at this point no but that's also because Aaron Jones is just really darn good AJ Dillon could be third and John Runyon Jr. will get a big deal somewhere this offseason not sure if it's Green Bay based on the emotion that he showed following the conclusion of the postseason for Green Bay. So Darnell Savage, Keyshawn Nixon, A.J. Dillon, John Runyon Jr. are the priorities for Green Bay. But I think some of these role player guys like a Josiah DeGuara, like a Yash Nyman, Eric Wilson, or one of these younger safeties, Jonathan Owens, Jonathan Ford, Benny Sapp, I think those guys are the most likely guys to come back on the cheap for the Green Bay Packers. Let's round out our number one now, though. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Many days there are those who can be called a problem child. You know the ones. They have a tendency to display an ugly side. They have their whiny moments. Some display an outright bad side of themselves. And then there are those who stand out in a good way. Well, here they are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We will start out relatively close to home here today with the good, the bad, and the ugly from Fargo, North Dakota, Valley News Live by way of Dakota News Now. It may look like spring in North Dakota, but over 3,000 miles away up in Alaska, one North Dakota teen and her team of sled dogs are dashing through the snow. Eva Robinson is racing in this weekend's Junior Iditarod Sled Dog Race. This is the second time that the 17-year-old from Cavalier has competed in the competition. Her first time back in 2022 was slightly modified due to the weather. Weather has also played a factor this year, affecting how Robinson can train. Warmer weather during the day forced her to train at night 
throughout the fall without snow on the ground. She had to improvise as well. This weekend's race for 17-year-old Eva Robinson will be the longest she has ever competed in, but will help her to hopefully qualify for the full Iditarod in the future. While that's a goal for Robinson, she says her dogs are always her number one priority. What matters to me isn't where we place. It could be first, it could be last, it could be not even finishing at all as long as the dogs are safe and happy and they're having the best time they possibly could have. Cool story, cool share from Dakota News Now via Valley News Live. The Junior Iditarod kicked off Saturday morning and will end on Sunday evening. To see how Eva Robinson is doing, you can visit the Junior Iditarod webpage from Alaska. The University of Massachusetts is set to join the MAC in all applicable sports for 2025-2026's school year, according to ESPN on Monday. I didn't know if this was good, if it was bad, or somewhere in between. UMass is currently an independent in football, but plays in the Atlantic 10 in basketball and the vast majority of the other school sports. UMass's hockey program will remain in the Hockey East as the MAC does not have a hockey league. The MAC presidents voted to invite UMass on Monday as the school had already formally applied to the league. The timing of an announcement is not known, but UMass is set to accept and finalize the details of the arrangement in the near future once the school formally applies in conference realignment. There's usually an understanding that they'll be accepted and enter that league. The move of UMass to the MAC will leave Notre Dame and UConn as the lone independents currently in college football with Army set to join the American in the upcoming season. In basketball, the news is a jolt to the Atlantic 10 where UMass has had a home since 1976. The MAC goes to 13 teams and will now open up speculation of as to whether to add a 14th member for balance within the conference. There have been discussions about Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky as recently as 2021, but the MAC and realignment comes for us all. If you were to ask me what conference was perfect regionally, it's the MAC. As far as the teams that are in the conference built that way, they absolutely hate each other, despise each other, great rivalries, great tradition. I love what the MAC has based on where they are in the country and the caliber of football in which those teams represent. We've seen some really good teams over the last 10, 20, 30 years come out of the MAC, notably Western Michigan. We've seen some very good teams from Toledo and other programs as well. But the MAC is adding UMass to become their 13th member as soon as 2025. That's the biggest news from college football. As far as college basketball goes, yesterday John Shire, Bill Self, and other college basketball leaders called for a ban on court storming in college basketball due to safety concerns and other potential legal impacts for athletes and students. The conversation about court storming escalated over the weekend after Duke star Kyle Filipowski was bumped by Wake Forest fans who spilled onto the floor following the Deeks 83-79 win over the rival Blue Devils on Saturday. That incident unfolded just weeks after a fan ran into women's basketball superstar Caitlin Clark after Iowa lost in upset fashion at Ohio State. On an ACC media teleconference call yesterday, Shire said the conference should implement a court storming ban now and not wait to address the issue this offseason. He said Filipowski avoided a major injury during the court storming incident but was, quote, a little bit sore on Monday. Shire initially said that Filipowski had suffered an ankle injury. The projected lottery pick in this summer's NBA draft was carried off the court by teammates after the collision. Eleven conferences right now, the Atlantic 10 being 
Big East, Big South, Big Ten, and others recently told ESPN that the homeschool for a court storm could be subject to a fine under certain circumstances. The ACC does not issue fines for court storming, and a person with knowledge of the situation confirmed to the AP that the league does not intend to find Wake Forest for Saturday's incident. Absolutely, we shouldn't wait until next year. Something should be done right now, Shire said during the call. At the end of the day, players and coaches and officials are the only people that belong on the court. And again, I'll reiterate and say what I said yesterday. I think it's a cool part of college basketball, college football, that the kids can go out there and the fans can go out there and the young fans in attendance can go out on the floor, go out on the field and celebrate a big upset. Now, do I have a problem with the other team, the personnel, the medical staff, and everybody crucial, including the on-site personnel, whether it be the SIDs, whether it be the scorekeepers, whether it be the officials being on the floor? I absolutely have a problem with that. It has never made sense to me storming the court while players from the team that just got upset in the heat of competition are still on the floor. It is a recipe for disaster, and I project... And I don't like saying this, but I project in the future, if this continues with no changes, that things could get worse down the line, i.e. a brawl, i.e. a thrown punch or two, and a mob scene in what should be a very joyous occasion. Said yesterday makes way too much sense to me. Just set a clock, get the crowd pumped up, get everybody that wants to get off the floor off the floor safely, and then have your party in college basketball. It doesn't need to go away entirely, but it cannot remain the same as it currently is. Lastly, on to the ugly after the Knicks escaped with a 113-111 win over the Pistons last night, in large part because of an obvious missed call with eight and a half seconds to go when New York guard Dante DiVincenzo plowed into Detroit forward Oscar Thompson. Pistons coach Monty Williams delivered a tirade over what he deemed a season's worth of mistreatment by the officials. The absolute worst call of the season. Williams said a few minutes after the game, he arrived in the media room before any reporters could get there and did not answer any questions. After issuing his statement about the game's final sequence, no call and enough's enough. We've done it the right way. We've called the league. We've sent in clips. We're hearing the same stuff over and over again. We've had a chance to win the game and a guy dove into his legs and there was a no call. That's an abomination. You can't miss that in an NBA game, period. Referee James Williams, the crew chief, was standing right on top of the play, which occurred during a frenetic closing sequence and admitted in a pool report after the game that it should have been called a foul. Upon postgame review, we determined that Thompson gets to the ball first and then was deprived of the opportunity to gain possession, James Williams said. Therefore, a loose ball foul should have been whistled on New York's Dante DiVincenzo, but it wasn't, and as a result, the 8-49 and 49 Pistons found themselves on the short end of a heartbreaking call for the second straight game after believing a travel should have been called on Magic forward Paulo Bancaro's winning bucket in a Saturday home loss to Orlando. Not only is it a lost season and an ugly season for Detroit given the state of the franchise, but it's been very tough lately in regards to cooperation as far as fair play, fair calls from the NBA referees go. Echo the sentiments there of Monty Williams needs to get fixed, needs to change moving forward. That's the good, the bad, the ugly. We take the break and start out a delayed hour number two with headlines and highlights. Before long, we'll be talking football with Arif Hassan of WideLeft.Football, NBA Latest, and much, much more ahead, including our conversation with NSIC Commissioner Aaron Lind. It's all still to come. It's Tuesday and overtime right here on ESPN Sioux Falls. 